episode five of the Live Motocross podcast. I'm Sophie McGinn and joining me again is my co-host Darren Bartholomew. Are you there? Uh, yes, sunny Shropshire, here we go. Uh, co-host <laughs> now as well, so we've got up the scale. So yeah, really looking forward to this one so far. I'll let you introduce because uh, yeah, looking forward to this one. I'll tell you what, why don't you do the honours this week? I will then. Um, so obviously... <laughs> Um, just like you guys to uh, introduce, uh, well, he's he's a live wire. He can talk a bit, so I think this is going to be a good one as well. And that's no disrespect to the lad. Um, just like to welcome Bill Base Honda's Steve Clark then to the podcast. Welcome, mate. How you doing? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah, all good. Ready to get this underway. Good stuff, Hope mate. Don't so, talk too much for you. No, honestly, don't apologise for that. That's what it's all about, mate. We'll we'll put you on the spot. We're We'll get you going. Don't worry about that, mate. Don't apologise for, for talking too much. That's the nature of the beast. So that's that'd be ace. We have to shut yeah, you well, up normally, to... don't we? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, mate, I yeah. normally get told to shut up. So it's quite refreshing, to be fair. So Yeah, I was going to say, there's, between the three of us, it's going to be like a two and a half hour long podcast, oh, I reckon. It could, yeah, I could, could well be, mate. It's been done before, <laughs> believe you me. It's surprising. So uh, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's get some good stuff in there as well. So don't be coy about it all, mate, as well. You say how it goes. I, I, knew, I know we'll get that from you, so that's good. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that's, that's all I know, really. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we'll jump straight into the first topic then, I think, Darren. Um, yeah. We want to change it up a little bit this week because we've been doing a lot on previous careers, um, that sort of stuff. But I wanted to hear from you sort of, what you've got going on for 2020 if we actually get a 2020 at some point <laughs> yeah uh well I mean my plans stay pretty much the same as they did before the season all got paused um I'm going to be doing the British Championship uh and hopefully the MX Nationals if that gets some dates as well so we can race there but at the moment it's just sort of uh keep your fitness up and you know keep sharp on the things that you can uh, obviously we can't do any practicing and stuff like that but um, just you know, just trying to maintain where I was at before it all stopped, and uh, get ready to go and win some races when it all kicks back off again. That's it. So, what have you been doing, sort of, when you've been at home? Like, have you been what sort of new hobbies you've been trying to do? Uh, well, new hobbies. Um, <laughs> I actually, not much to be fair. It's the same thing. Um, just been doing some mountain biking. Uh, you know, just some body weight gym stuff that I can do at home and. Uh, I bought a new concept two rower, so I've been smashing that out in the living room watching uh, Netflix. Um, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, just pretty much just waiting, chomping at the bit to do some laps on a motocross bike. That's uh, it's all I can think about. And uh, you know, I mean, as, as the sooner this racing gets underway, the better I think for everybody, not just myself. But I'm uh, I'm a racer. You know, I I, uh, I do my laps for my training more so than my gym, but. It's been good, you know, topping up on everything that I've uh, that I've been missing in the past, and uh, yeah, like I said, just getting ready for when it all kicks back off. If if it kicks back off, uh, I don't know anything else more than anybody else at the minute. I'm just in the waiting game as well, but you know, it's looking towards the end of the year. We might get some races in, I think. Yeah, let's be mindful of that, mate, and let's hopeful for that as well. So, I, I just want to say, just as as a pro rider and stuff like that, mate, um, what is your day to day nine to five then at the moment for Stephen Clark? Both, you know, before what was happening before COVID nineteen and now, as opposed to what you're doing now, you've just elaborated a little bit fitness wise. You're probably on point at the moment, but what's a general nine to five day for Stephen Clark? 
nine to five. Well, to be honest, at the moment, because everything's all been shut down, uh, my dad's business. Uh, a lot of the workers don't want to come in. Obviously, they've been furloughed, so they they'd rather sit at home and not do anything for and get their eighty percent than have to go to work a bit. So I've actually been and fitted a couple of garage door shutters uh, for my dad. Just. Uh, on the side, some emergency stuff. You know, I know it, you're not supposed to go and do any like normal work, so it's all been just a few emergency things. I've done, I think I've done two or three doors in the last couple of weeks. Uh, before that, it was just a lot of sitting around, honestly, just watching Netflix and chilling, really. Um, and then, these, you know, obviously, my, <laughs> I do my gym. I do my cycle for like an hour, hour and a half, and, you know, I do some body weight stuff. But again, that only fills up two hours of your day, and then you've got to try and figure out the rest of your day. Um, we've... Yeah. I've got a five-acre field just behind my house. We've got some sheep in, but me and my dad uh, built like a mini golf course. So we've been like chipping balls back and forth, trying not to hit the sheep and um, doing, you know, just some odds and ends around the property. Uh, I mean, we've got a couple of acres around the house and the sit-on lawnmower is broke. So guess who had to push mower the whole thing? That was me. Yeah, it took me about, yeah, it took me literally four and a half hours of push mowing, man. I was dead. Uh, I granted I didn't do no gym that day. <laughs> no, have you have you not yeah, seen that on that Instagram, it. mate, where somebody's put a mountain bike with like the the mower attachment to the front wheel? I did. Have you see seen that, that anywhere? Yeah, that would yeah. be so much fun, yeah, mate. You could do that. and Get the training. Yeah, no, my look. I'd end up just making a track out of the grass there. Then I'd just be all down <laughs> to the dirt in some sort of it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Then nothing wrong with all that at all, mate. So yeah. But yeah, yeah, pretty much just trying to keep myself busy, man. I, I, I'm a very active person, so just sitting around doing nothing's, you know, it kills me. So literally, yeah. I've just been picking up whatever I can, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Me and Dad have painted one of the sheds with my sister, and you know, just general stuff. Really, pretty much what everyone's probably been up to. Just trying to tie up the loose ends around the house and that that get put off when when we go practicing every day, and you know, Dad's at work, so. Yeah, house is looking pretty schmick. <laughs> <laughs> now then, being obviously in the Bill Base Honda MX2 squad this year, mate, um, you've you've always been quite, and I mean this totally respectably, you've always been a stocky lad, haven't you, a stocky rider. Um, have you had to kind of manage your, your weight that way-wise, or do you not worry about it? What, or you just smash yourself training-wise? How, how do, do you have to keep a, a, a close check on it or anything like that, or...? Uh, I probably should. I'm uh, I'm a bit bigger than uh, I'd I probably should be, you know, to be on the MX2 class. But I I ride a lot with my talent and my technique and everything. Um, yeah. And honestly, the bike I've got this year with Ryan Thorpe is unbelievable. We did uh, we did a lot of testing in the preseason, and he's he's made some leaps and bounds on the old engines on the old Hondas. Um, obviously, this year's it's a little bit different engine, so it's opened it up a lot more for him. So. He, it took a bit of the pressure off because you're, you're right. I, in the past, I've had to uh, slim down in the off season, sort of thing. But uh, I mean, I'm actually pretty much at the lightweight where I'm normally am coming into racing. Uh, it went up a little bit. Let me. Go, I'll tell you that when uh, when COVID nineteen happened, I just sat around and <laughs> ate loads of chocolate. But knowing that the season's kicking off, or hoping that the season's kicking off in another month or two, or whatever it's going to be, you know, I figured I'd just drop it back down where I'm at and. Uh, yeah, just send it. Really, I'm. I, I know that my fitness is going to be there at the races. My bike's there, and uh, as long as I'm not fat, I'll be all right. <laughs> Are we all you, there? Is it? Cut yeah, out? I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, right, I was just right. the, you, you went too quiet session. then. So far, we go. It's all right. I thought it cut out then. Yeah. 
No, no, I was waiting for you to talk about my receding hairline as well as my overweight. <laughs> oh, that's the <laughs> mate, that's question. That's, que- that's question ten, mate. Hang on a minute, you're jumping the gun there a bit. <laughs> Um, so obviously we touched on the the Honda team a minute there with Ryan Thorpe. Um, what's that been like for you? Because obviously last year you've had a mix between a Pico and all sorts of different stuff. So what's it been like jumping onto the Hondas? Uh, honestly, it has been so refreshing. Um, the guys literally at the team with Dave, Ryan, Willie, everybody involved, they just literally hand you everything on a silver platter. I'm... Um, I mean, I've got parts that I need for practicing. My race bike is like prepped, ready to go. And all I've literally got to do is show up and, and race. And uh, anytime there's any major problems with the practice bike, I can just drop it back off to them and, you know, they just fix it right up. So it has taken uh, a massive weight off my shoulders. Whereas in the past, um, it's, you know, whenever I've been racing the British, I did the Apico Husqvarna thing. And again, that was me and Stu and my dad uh, at first with the big support from uh, a pico you know but again it was mm-hmm. i was helping load bikes up i was setting awnings up i was you know dropping bits off and picking parts up during the week and trying to keep everything together you know in my garage whereas now it's literally it's like being on a factory team the guys um you know they hand you everything like i said on a silver plate and it just makes our job a lot easier come race day um when i haven't got to set awnings up and stuff like that so Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't got enough. I can't. I can't praise it enough, man. It's been wicked. Uh, you know, Dave's. A, obviously, we all know Dave's a legend back in his racing career. But again, since he stopped racing, he's had a very successful team um, throughout the years. Even when I was a kid, I remember watching Mike Brown ride the Cat Honda uh, under Dave's awning. You know, and now to be part of it is it's pretty special. Uh, my dad's a big Dave Thorpe fan when he used to watch him race back in the day, and. Um, you know, I've had Ryan as a mechanic my first year on uh, 250s back in 2006. I actually put a throwback picture up on Instagram today of the site of that bike. Oh, yeah. So mm. it's... Uh, it I saw that at Hawkston a... this morning, mate, wasn't it? Yeah? Yep, yeah, yeah, Hawkstone 2006 British Championship. So many moons ago, but uh, yeah, it's been good. I've, had, I've stayed, you know, in close contact with Ryan and Dave and everything over the years. And it all just sort of worked out this year that they were they were missing an MX2 rider and I was looking for a deal. And, you know, I think between the, between me, my talent and my, you know, my everything that I've got and, and all the experience that Dave and Ryan and everybody's got, we're on for a run for some winning, winning form this year. Excellent to hear, mate. We like the positivity. That's great. So um, just going on off the back of that, then for 220, then who do you see your rivals are? Who's your biggest threat then, in your opinion, with regards to the British Championship this year? Uh, my biggest threat uh, is going to be myself. If you know, I know, I know damn well that if I come to the race with my with my race head on and I give it my everything every weekend, I'm going to be, I'm going to be at the front, either top three, top two. You know what I mean? I'm going to be battling for wins every every round. Uh, my biggest competition, I would say, is going to be like Conrad and Basvassen. Um, I'm sure, you know, the, the, I have, to be honest, I haven't really looked at the race order. I, I just sort of show up and let the let my riding do the talk. But uh, I know there's going to be some guys on 252 strokes, Brad Anderson, you know, Jamie Law, Matt Burrows. Um, there's going to, Todd Kelly, I think, is racing a 252 stroke as well. So it's it's going to be a bit of a mix up and it's all just sort of see how you get on at round one, really. But you know, it's uh, yeah. I'd say me and Conrad are going to be duking it out for the for the first overall by the end of the championship. Um, if I had to pick one person, 
but I'm I'm a lot bigger than he is, as you as you've already touched base on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't and know. elbows I think come cool. short, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they don't know when you got a bit of podge on your belly, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, no I'm, or... I'm pretty good friends with Conrad. We we got a bit of a banter going on online over you know the last few months just before the season. I like to tease him a little bit. Um, but it's all good. We, I've known him for years, and uh, we are friends, and we still do talk. I wished him up a birthday the other day. He's just turned twenty-one, um, so that's that's pretty cool for him. Although he's stuck inside, um, but yeah, it, like I said, I think it's gonna be wicked. We'll have some good races, and I know we'll keep it clean, um, and we'll probably come off smiling and laughing with each other anyway. Excellent. Um, so. Your team boss, mate, obviously we we did the podcast with him uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he was kind of saying to us when you were over in Spain testing earlier on in the year and stuff that you he kind of leaves the setup and all that kind of process down to you. Um, can you just explain a bit more to that? Is that because of the American thing or how? Because he, he was quite happy to just leave it for you to set your own motorcycle up. So. Yeah, that, uh, that's mainly suspension-wise. Um, yeah. I've, I've done a lot of testing with Factory Connection uh, in the USA over the years, and especially since I've been on Honda since 2018. Um, I spent some like one-on-one time testing all different setups with them and found something that was you know magical to me. It felt amazing. Uh, I've won GPs in the EMX class on it. I've won British Championship races on it. Um, and it was just, you know, I had it sat in my shed still from from uh, 2018 so I just I, I gave it to Ryan they've bolted it straight into my bike and it was it's pretty much bang on straight away we've uh, we've dropped a bit of oil in the forks just to make them a little bit softer um, but yeah like I said Dave, like you said Dave uh, pretty much left it up to me and because Dave knows that a happy rider is a fast rider so there's no point him trying to uh, force me into trying different settings when you know, I'm already happy and I know, and he saw in Spain, he came out uh, for a couple of weeks and we did some testing. Uh, my lap times weren't too far off Tommy and Jake's on their 450. Um, so no I think he was happy. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I was, I mean, some of the days Tommy was, Tommy was on another level, Jake was on another level, but for, for the most part, I was only, you know, a second, second and a half off. And uh, I think that just was to do with the fact that, like you said, I was happy with I was happy with my setup, ready to go. Whereas they were both still testing different shocks and different forks, and they weren't one hundred percent sure on it. So, um, I, like you said, Dave leaving me up, leaving me to it was uh, it, it's benefited me a lot because you know I haven't had to try and get used to something else. Um, I've literally just jumped on the bike, and it it feels you know what I mean when it, when you jump on a bike, and yeah, it, it feels like it feels your like bike you're already. Bike. Yeah, yeah, it is, and. Uh, we had to just do a few little mods uh, to the engine um, as opposed to um, the, the the other riders on the MX2 from the previous couple of years. I like my power in a little bit of a different spot. Uh, but Ryan, you know, like I said, Ryan hit that straight on the head. I think it was like the second engine we tried was just perfect for me. So I was yeah, just about my, to say, because uh, Ryan, that is, that is where his strength is. The electrics and mapping and the bike engine setup is where he's, he's so in tune with it all isn't he he can get that bike dialed in you've just got to tell him and 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 he knows where to put it yeah literally he's uh he's a genius with these honda engines um i think if anybody's riding a honda in england this year and you haven't got an engine done by ryan you're a, not to be mean but you're a bit of a fool because 
He knows his stuff and uh, it's open to anyone, man. It's not like he just does it for the team. He's got uh, Banks Brown and Luke Burton on his engines. There's Kulas and uh, Thornhill are going to be on there as well. Uh, Pocock, I think, also got one. You know, So majority of that MX1 uh, British Championship race is going to be in the top 10. It's going to be on the build base on the engine. So... That I think that's pretty special, and I think the the proof's in the pudding. You know, if those all those top runners are using Ryan's engine, that um, that alone says it for itself, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, definitely, mate. Uh, this is a a bit of a well, I don't know if it's a hard question, but it's what I thought. I'm going to say it to you because I know you'll give me a straight answer. But because <laughs> uh, I just uh, you know you were so close to winning the British Championship, mate, um, and everybody felt for you. Um, especially to, to go on bike trouble and stuff like that. Um, but I just wanted to put it, do you think you're owed a British Championship title now? Because in my opinion, I think you do. Um, and does that make you more determined now, do you think? Um, I don't know. I, I was pretty determined back then. I um, I fought tooth and nail through the whole season. There was a lot of controversy. You know, my, my bike blew up the first race of the year, 2016. Um, and it just kind of put me back from the beginning and then you know I obviously had my first uh my first overall win that was at Canada Heights so the 1-1 was amazing it was a good season and then to get to the last round and have a bike problem that um that was out of our control you know Stu at the time had put all new electrics on the bike and everything was mint and it worked brilliant in qualifying and then lap one of the first race uh, the condenser under the seats a little circle uh tube it just condenses the power basically from electric to to power, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. It just went out. Um, it wasn't nothing that it wasn't like he'd left something loose, or it wasn't that I'd thrown it away. You know, so to me, it, it didn't really hurt me that much at the time, um, or even now. To be fair, it, it is what it is. I put in everything I'd got. Stu put in everything he'd got, and uh, we gifted Sterry a British Championship. Um, but you know, it, it's just one of those things. Part of racing, we all know the consequences. It could have happened to him, and I could have won it that way. Um, and I think, I think he would have rather have liked to have got it beating me in the racing, if you know what I mean. Whereas yeah, yeah. We I think in, any we true racer play. would, wouldn't they? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, I, I wouldn't say I'm owed one. I, I know that it, after that championship season, I know that if I put in the work and I go to each race with the confidence knowing that I can win, I'm going to be there mm. or thereabouts at the end of the championship with or without you know bad races. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely want one. I know that, that my determination has been higher than it ever has, you know, with, I, I was doing it off my own back before with my dad out of a sprinter van and to have a big team behind me now, like Dave that, um, and I'm not, not saying Dave's putting any pressure on me, but I know he's expecting to win. Uh, Ryan's expecting to win and they put, they put in all of their efforts. So, you know, as long as I complete the trifecta and uh, put in my effort and, and get there, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon we're in a good chance at winning it. Wow, that was a good word as well. Trifecta. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna use that one in I'm gonna use that one, mate, in future. I love that. We might we might have to own that. That's awesome. So while, we're the, while we're on the subject of the of the British as well, I'm gonna throw this in because we seem to be having a lot of controversy at the moment with the British and how it should be grand and changes and all this sort of mad stuff. Um, what do you feel about it? Do you think it needs a bit of a shake up? 
Um, it, it depends in what way. What, what, like with tracks or with the, like the, the racing or the okay. qualifying or anything? What, what do you mean? Go on. Yeah. A if, bit more of a... if, we, if, if we had a perfect Stephen Clark British Championship format then, what would it be with regards to, you know, race duration, um, what guys it might be under? How, what would be the perfect package for you? Uh, I mean, I think they pretty much hit the nail on the head with the motos and the qualifying and everything. I think uh, the, the qualifying practice could do with maybe being a little bit longer. Um, after you've done your 10 or 15 minutes free practice, you've only got 15 minutes time practice, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it should be at least 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. You know, the GPs run, they're like 45 minutes qualifying practice, I believe, uh, or they used to be anyway. And I just think it gives mm-hmm. you a bit more chance to get a good time in if you haven't had the the best beginning. You know, if you pull into the pits twice at the beginning of time practice, you only get like one chance to do a lap at the end of it. Whereas if you had the 30 minutes or 20 or 30 minutes of free practice, you've got a bit more time to get a time in. Uh, it will also roughen the track up a little bit. So normally the first motors of the British are a little bit smooth for my liking. Mm-hmm. I like rough tracks. Um, so I think if they uh, if they just gave us a bit more qualifying and a bit more chance to rough the track up and get a few more lines in, I think that would be uh, a big benefit. Uh, and a bit more of a variation on the tracks. You know, uh, I mean, I don't dislike Hawkstone or any of the tracks that are in the circuit. Don't get me wrong, they're all brilliant tracks, but I know there's a lot more tracks in England that, that could have a British Championship on them, you know, and I think yeah. like go throwing it into Farley Castle. I think that is such a brilliant track and with a little bit of work would be one of the best British Championship tracks we've got. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, I think they need to be a little, I don't know how, I honestly don't know the ins and outs of what it takes to run the championship. So my opinion might be absolute nonsense, but I think they should try and run them in a bit of different of an order, maybe try and put like a sand meeting, a hard pack meeting, a clay meeting, a dirt meeting, and then so on, as opposed to two sand meetings yeah. and then, you know what I mean? Have like two a month and a half off, and then just you jump straight into Fox Hills. I think mm-hmm. um, if you ran it, you know what I mean. It, that would be something I would try and look at, try and make it sit a bit better. If you know what I mean, the track. So like I said, have a sand yeah. meeting, have a clay meeting, have a hard pack meeting. Um, definitely throw some more hard pack in there. That's my forte. So if we could have seven days, <laughs> he's, at Fox he's Hills, a blue groove boy. Yeah. Yeah, um, or even try and get Matterley Basin on the cards. I think I heard rumours that uh, that was in talks for this year, but it, it fell through for whatever reason. I don't know. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if they were not going to use it as a GP anymore, why not use it as a British Championship? You'd have the crowd would turn and turn up in tenfold, you know what I mean? And, and the riders would all be over the moon, you know. I think you'd get a lot more entries if there was a race meeting at, um, <clears throat> at Matterley Basin because a lot of the people that race British Championships, but obviously don't do a GP, haven't ever had the chance to race it. So, you know, I think it would just be a a great event to have. Yeah, definitely. I know when we spoke to uh, Sean Simpson, we had on a couple of weeks ago, um, he, we were chatting to him about the same sort of thing. And he mentioned about, um, it wouldn't be the sort of place to have the youths riding together. Um, I think, in a way, it kind of does need to happen, but I don't know. It's it's kind of like 50-50 at the moment. Obviously, with what happened with Little Silver a few weeks ago with the weather and all that sort of stuff. Um, do you think that would cause any dramas with having the youth there or not? Uh, at Matley Basin or at the British Championship in, in general? In general, in British, yeah. 
Uh, no, if it was the other way around, like uh, America do it at quite a few of their outdoor races. They'll race Saturday is the, the pro race, then Sunday is the amateur day, which makes yeah. a lot more sense because if there is a track like, let's say, Matley Basin's on the cards, huge jumps, you know, big off-cameras, or like a lot of big obstacles there. If we were to race it Saturday mm-hmm. uh, and they had on this or on, say, yeah, Saturday we would race, then on the Sunday, say they needed to tame down a couple of the takeoffs for the youth riders, not a problem, you know, and then it can all be fixed after the meeting's over. So I, I think it's great to have the kids at our races, you know. Um, it was one of the cool things about America when I was racing the outdoors and having that amateur day on the Monday. There's a lot of the families come, you know, Friday, stay and watch the pros Saturday, they'll stay and then race on Sunday. So they kind of get to see what we're up to before they're racing. You know, they can see where we're riding mm-hmm. on the track. They can see the jumps we're doing, the, the sections and, and all that kind of thing. But as well as, you know, it brings them to the paddock. There'll be a lot more people in the pits uh, on a pro race on a Saturday if the Sunday race was the amateur day. Whereas if it was the other way around and we're racing in between amateurs, I don't really like that idea because, you know, 65 riders make really tight ruts. Um, yeah. And if they're going out in between our qualifying and our race, when we come out for the first race, you know, there's going to be some tight ruts on the track and the bumps are obviously all in different spots. So uh, it, it, it's, yeah, give and take. I think it's great having them there, but if we could swap the order around and have pros Saturday only, kids on Sunday, then you're on to a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right with that one because, like, when I've been over to America and watched the racing and stuff, it seems to be a bit more family orientated, like you say. So you've got all the families coming on the yeah. Fridays, blah blah blah. But with your experience from sort of being out there and and racing and stuff, do you think that there's a lot that we can take from America and sort of implement in the UK? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's things in the UK that America could learn from. You know, there's. Mm-hmm. Nowhere's perfect. None of the racing's perfect, but they just seem to have it <clears throat> a bit more dialed in on 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 some different areas. So, I, I definitely think if if the ACU was to open their eyes a little bit and you know be willing to change some things like that, just um, mm-hmm. swap it round. And even a few years ago, when I was racing four fifties out there, <clears throat> uh, whenever the racing is on live on television, four fifties race first. Now don't think that makes any difference to the riders you know we all ride the track we all know you know tracks are going to be rougher and and uh, on certain plates certain days so why not throw the 450s out first let them have a smooth first moto and put the 250s at the end and the roughest track we've got you know that there's no rule that says the 250s have to go before the 450s so you know mm-hmm. why not do if there's say there's six rounds do three 250s first three 450s first and switch it up you know, that's, again, yeah. just a minor change. It doesn't change the timing. It doesn't change the calendar. It doesn't change anything. But it gets a completely different track, that last moto, compared to the first moto on the track. So mm-hmm. if we were to swap, I think it would be brilliant. And, you know, that would be a good – that's one minor little detail that would, you know, change a lot of things for us all, I think. Yeah. I think that's a very valid point, you know, as well, that, you know, I think, I mean, me and Soph did the AMCA championships, as, as we know, the last couple of years. And what's yeah. one of the things they have actually implemented is actually to put a delegation of riders together to put their view as well 
Um, because obviously you're the guys that's out on the track, you know, risking your body and we, we, we know how fickle a sport it is. But mm-hmm. just to yeah. have some feedback from you guys, and sometimes you don't always see it, you know, when you're on the side or delegation or whatever, but just to have that extra point of view, I think, yeah. and the MCA definitely got better through it, I think, just having that delegation. Of course, like I, I think that would be brilliant, and I'd be all up for being part of it if uh, if we could get that going in the ACU. Sign me up, because there's a lot of things where uh, we'll show up to a race on a Friday uh, and just say some of, one of the turns, say the markers are a little bit too far in, or the the posts are too close to where we're going to be leaning in. If the riders after we've walked the track could go up to the ACU and seven out of the ten of us agree that that post needs to be moved in, it'd take ten mm-hmm. minutes to go and move the post. You know, but because there's not, like you said, there isn't a thing like that at the moment. We can't, we, if we go and say our opinion, it just sounds like we're moaning at the ACU, which we're not. Um, you know, they, they do know how to run the races and we don't. We're the riders. We know how to ride the races and ride the tracks. But um, if there was kind of like a, a little, you know, a time to say 10 minutes after, after you've all done track walk or something uh, or before mm-hmm. qualifying yeah. or even after qualifying, if we could just... Like you said, just voice our opinion. They don't have to listen to it because at the end of the day, they'll have the, the final say on things. But, you know, Gareth, I know Gareth's got a million things going on in his in his mind leading up to the race, during the race and after the race. So it might be easy for him to overlook something so simple as just a post being 12 inches in the wrong place, you know. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, if we can get that going, I'll sign me up. <laughs> and at the end of the day you know potentially it could make the racing better and I, I don't know anything about running races and I think ACU you know they're switched on when it comes to that they they actually clarify that part of it very very well um but I think yeah. they just need to be a little bit like you say a little bit more approachable um with regards yeah. to the content mm. and whatever else actually coming from a rider's yeah. perspective as well um and yeah. like you say with regards to the track that's a very valid point like if you've, you're an out and out sand rider and all you ride in is sand tracks, then, you know, it's going to be a big benefit to that particular rider. Whereas if you've got, like you say, you've got Fox Hills, you've got Farley. I mean, I've been, I don't know if you've been doing it, Stephen, so, but we've been watching Motorvision quite a lot in the downtime over yep. uh, on YouTube. <laughs> Amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And to see the old tracks just naturally there, yeah. no, no grooming of the tracks, just natural as it was. I'm, I love it. I can't stop watching them at the moment. I think, you know, we just, sometimes we need to reel it back and just learn from the past, I think. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, a bit more, like motocross. No, sorry, go on. Yeah, motocross. Yeah, it's just, mo- mo- modern motocross is going a particular way. And, you know, I get it to a certain degree. I mean, you know, if you want to attract sponsors, you want it to be entertaining, you want to be that. But I'm thoroughly entertained by watching mm. the 1995 Fox Hills Motocross Grand Prix. Do you know what I mean, the track was amazing. It's got a bit of everything in it. It was rough. It was blue groove, you know, and I just think, you know, it's it's a good test for the riders as well. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit um, of back yeah, in your day, that, isn't it, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's having a little dig for you for calling me fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never call you fat, mate. I said stocky. No, There's no, a difference. I'm only, yeah. I'm only teasing, mate. Honestly, I, I don't take offence to anything. I'm probably one of the most laid-back riders in the sport all the way around the world. So, 
But yeah, just one more about the back to the ACU. Like you said about if they were just a bit open minded about just changing just simple things like that, just put the four fifties first. It would be cool to see Tommy and Jake go head to head on a fast track as opposed to on a rough track. Do you know what I mean? It would be mm-hmm. and Simpson. Yeah. You know, I know if the track's flatter, they're going to be going faster and they're going to be. It, it's a bit easier. They're on four fifties. They don't. You know, it should be the other way around anyway. The, the lighter two fifty should be on the rougher track, I think. But you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, if we can get that committee thing sorted out to where the riders can have a, an input or at least an opinion, um, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, maybe we need to start up like you remember MX tracks that everyone used to be on on the forum, just blasting the tracks every week. Yeah, <laughs> we need oh, to start yeah. that up again. <laughs> Oh, don't sign my name at the bottom of that because that that gets brutal. You get a lot of key, you get a lot of keyboard warriors that have got some uh, very strong opinions towards things. And but I think if there was, you know, ten, ten or fifteen, ten or ten two fifty riders and ten four fifty riders, I think mm-hmm. we'd be uh, it'd be brilliant. Or even five of each, it'd be a, a good enough point to where yeah, we can I mean, all talk to each other and come across and you know. You know, I think it definitely works. I mean, we've seen it in MotoGP, even, you know, in the road racing, where they have a particular body of riders just walking the track and, and, and just making sure everything's as it should be. And I just think there's lessons to be learned there somewhere as well. But mm-hmm. the, the trouble is there is a saturation point when it comes to riders in the UK and everybody's trying to claim the same amount of riders for all their, whether it be MX Nationals or Bridgestone or AMCA or ACU, whatever. Um but, you know, my, my and this is just my opinion. I, I think <laughs> no, I know because you know. It, it, I think we kind of need to get back to you know where the top forty used to be. I mean, at the end of the day, you used to have to qualify for the British Motocross Championship, and it was almost kind of it wasn't a given by any any means. You, it was hard earned to get into that top forty at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I just think we need to, you know, sometimes you just need to go back. Um, and I think, unfortunately, the ACU British Championship at the moment, you know, if you can just turn up and ride and, and you know, I've, I've done, and I'm not having to go at the ACU in any way, shape or form. I've commentated on a few of their events and to see the 450 lineup with probably only, you know, 20 some odd on the line. I just think it's such a shame. We're all fans at the end of the day. We want to see it how it was. Um and I just think, you know, they need to be just a little bit more focused. And I think now with COVID and everything that's happened now, it's kind of almost a bigger deal now. To This may well be the time to try and get something sort sorted, out, you know. Yeah. 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 I, if I'm um, honest, I think this COVID-19 is actually going to do our, our sport a bit of a favour towards the fan side of things because everybody's been locked inside now for a month and just over a month. And by the time we go racing... You know, people are going to be wanting to go out on weekends and they're going to want to go and do things as part from sit at home. And I think it might bring some more fans to our races, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe that's just my wishful yeah. thinking, but that's my opinion uh, on there. Uh, I think you're right. And so will agree. Like the absolute diehards will turn up to the championship anyway. I mean, you've got a certain fan clientele that will turn up to the races anyway because they love it. They're like us. You know, they want to go and they want to be part of it and whatever else. But it's all about getting new people in. And that's obviously, when I see photos, I mean, I did the Hawks and International a lot long back. And, and you go into the, the, the commentary tower there, and there's like fifty to 60,000 people lying in Hawkston Park. 
I mean, if we get this yeah. right now, mm-hmm. why not? Why not think that? I mean, it, it used to happen. Um, but a lot of things have to change, unfortunately, in the in the meantime to get it like that. But, you know, as a collective, I think if we all think about for the good of motocross, um, now's the time to do it, in my opinion. And if yeah. we can get that right, who knows? That's it. Yeah, definitely. I agree. to sort of like chatting about America then Steve um, yeah. and how you sort of got involved out there and ended up racing and stuff that'd be cool yeah it's, it's, it's quite a cool little story to be honest um, yeah. so I'll go back to the beginning uh, I used to be terrible on a motocross bike absolutely terrible I did it as a hobby <laughs> I still have <laughs> <that>, mate <laughs> yeah um, well along somewhere along the lines I believe it was uh, in the 2000 uh we bumped into adam chatfield uh became good friends with him and his family um and at the time it was when he was back and forth from america racing uh and he he told me it's actually his dad told my dad that you know what hey we've we go to america at the end of each year to race in florida at the minios uh we normally do a week before at colleen Millsap's house with davy Millsaps. Mm-hmm. um you guys should come and check it out so my dad backing me all the way, he always has and he always will, um, decided, you know what, let's do it. He wouldn't mind a little holiday in Florida with motocross involved. And if any <laughs> of you guys know my dad, then uh, you can understand where I'm coming from. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, so we went out there. I did a week at Colleen's house uh, training and I like, improved so much um, just in that week, short week, uh, week period. And then I raced minios and going to one of their amateur events and seeing how it's all run and the fact that I didn't have to just ride a, uh, one class, do three motos. You could ride three, four, five different classes. It was like 85 standard, 85 modified, super mini. Uh, I could ride the 125 class on my 85. They don't care. You know what I mean? You can go and race all these different races. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, jumping forward a bit, when Blake Wharton was on mini bikes, he rode the a stock, a stock KTM 85, a modified KTM 85, uh, a super mini, a standard 125 KTM, modified KTM 125 uh, in the schoolboy class. Then he did the two, uh, 250B on a standard 250, a uh, modified 250B, so that's seven, and then he did the 450 standard, and 450 modified. So he did nine classes ranging from a standard <laughs> KTM 85 to a 450 modified KTM. You know what I mean? Which I think is That's phenomenal. Crazy. And, That's crazy. Yeah. And like, it works all the way. If he was a mechanic, he walked. What's that? Sorry. Sorry, mate. I said if you were his mechanic, you'd just walk out, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I think he was on big bucks. But, I mean, it's not just on 85s. It works from PWs. You can ride a PW, you can ride a Cobra 50, and you can ride, like, a 65, or you could ride a Cobra 50, a Kawasaki 65, and if you're old enough, you can ride 7 to 11, 85cc. So you can – do you know what I mean? It varies from either side, which wherever you are, you know. And I think being on an auto, riding a 65 – just at some little club meetings or at your national, just to do, you might not qualify, but you get used to riding with a clutch, helps you jump back onto that 50 to go quicker. 
vice versa if you're on a super mini and you're trying to ride a standard uh standard 85 it helps with that as well but yeah anyway um we did we went over for a week uh and did that training did the race at florida and we just sort of fell in love with it and it was shortly after that my dad sat me down and said look Stephen." uh We've seen how much you've improved over the last 12 months, a couple of trips to MTF. Do you want to make this your career or do you want to carry on going to school uh, and jump in at my work and be part of the business with me? <laughs> and as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old boy, it was a pretty swift, yes, I want to race, race motocross forever and not have to go <laughs> to work. Um, and it just sort of snowballed from there, really. We ended up going back for like two months, the second or third year, and then by the fourth year I'd been going, they'd opened up Millsap's training facility and it was taking full-time members. And I'd go for two months pre-season and then halfway through the season I'd go for another couple of weeks. Uh, and then by September I was going for like three and four months at a time. Uh, I carried on racing over here in England, but uh, to, at the end of 2006, after that year on Honda with Ryan Thorpe, uh, we decided to move over there and try and turn pro over there. So I did one more year, or two more years, sorry, in the A-class, which is called like A-Pro Sport. Uh, and it was the same era as like Austin Stroop, Nico Izzy, Trey Kennard, Will Hahn. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I could keep going, but... It don't, some big, it big names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some huge names that were going places. Um, and I thought that, if if I wanted to make it in this sport, you've got to be where the best people are. You know what I mean? You've got to be riding with them, racing with them. So I uh, we moved over at the end of 06. I did the full 2007 season in amateurs. I won Loretta Lynn's. Uh, then my second year, I was in A-class again. I was top three with Darren Durham, PJ Larson, some other guys. And then turned pro. Mm -hmm. uh, I did, what did I do? I did two years of supercross and motocross straight away. Came home, did a year for Hooper Suzuki. Uh, did a couple of years in Australia for Factory Suzuki. Then back to England for a few years. And then 2013, I did Supercross. Then back to England. It's been mad. Back and forth. A lot of flights. I'd dread to think how many Sky Miles I'd have if I collected them all. <laughs> uh, but, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been... Other than the memories and the, 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 the racing I've had and, you know what I mean, and all the people I've met, it's been so good for my career because I've learned a lot from everywhere I go you know I learned a lot about myself uh, in 2011 when I rode for Rob Hooper I um, I wasn't putting in enough effort training wise um, mm. but I didn't realize that you know because I've been so used to being at a training facility where someone tells you what to do coming home and having to do it all on your own I just sort of didn't do much um, so I learned a lot about myself that year and then 2016, when I was nearly won the British Championship, I learned a lot about what it what it actually takes to win. Um, and it doesn't take the big truck and the flashy bikes and everything. It, it's it's all about what you put in before the season and and how you ride uh, mentally. You know, because you can be the fittest, fastest rider on the track if you're not there mentally. You know, you're going to struggle at the races. And I uh, I found that if I'm on top of things with my mental game and I, my confidence is up there and my bike setup's good, you know, I, I know that I'm going to be a contender to win a British Championship, you know, whatever whoever I'm against. Um, I know if I went into the 450s for this year, uh, after a couple of months of training on it, I know I'd be up there battling with Tommy, Jake and Sean. So it's, yeah, like I said, I learned a lot about what it takes to win British Championship races in 2016. Um, and I just think, you know, it, 
I was a bit sad when this COVID-19 happened because everything had fell into place so nicely for me to try and win my British Championship finally. And then, boom, mm-hmm. someone hit a bat and they were all stuck inside. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, uh, yeah. But, yeah, back to the America thing. Like I said, it's been great, a great experience for me. You know, I met a lot of nice people and a lot of nice sponsors and been to some cool tracks and everything all over there. But my favourite part is just what it's given me on a on a motocross bike, you know, the skill set that it's helped me with. Um, that's my favourite part. So, as you obviously just spoke of then, you've been all over the planet, mate, with regards to racing motocross and, and everybody give their eye tooth to be in that situation that you've been in. So, US, Australia, Germany, all over Europe racing. What's it like racing all of the different series and how does it differ? Just explain, because not many people get to to have the both sides of this do they so yeah um the way it's diff. i mean god that's a pretty sp- uh, specific one you know the, there's differences in all of the countries you know like gps the riders tend to be a bit more paced out you know like go for the long haul america is just pretty much the riders are just sprint as soon as that gate drops they are going 110 percent uh and they'll either finish the race or they'll crash out you know what i mean um yeah england there's a lot, there's a bit of method to the madness, you know, people, you know, there's here and there, there's some people that will go fast, some people that are trying to pace it out till the end. Um, the racing, Australia, um, my first year over there, in during their seven round Supercross series, there was one round that was a qualifying and a 15 lap main event, one round was qualifying and two 10 lap main events, or three 10 lap main events. One of the rounds was four eight lap races where... 20 people start the first one, uh, then the top 15 go to the second moto, the top 10 go to the third moto, and the last moto is only five people. I thought that was brilliant. It was like they called it a knockout race, I believe, or knockout uh, schedule or whatever it was. But it was, you know what I mean? There was they, they switched it up so much that only two of the rounds were the same and they were two 15-lap finals. So they, <clears throat> Australia's not scared to be innovators of, uh, of their sport, you know, and... Uh, other than that, the I mean, the, my biggest, uh, the hardest thing to, okay, I should say that the hardest thing about switching from season to season and country to country racing is getting used to the schedule. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't, yeah. uh, over the years, like, there's so many times I've shipped a bike home when I was in America and just tried to race one British championship or just tried to show up at the German Supercross and race for a team I've never even met the people. You know what I mean? You you have to be really prepared. If you want to try and win anywhere in this sport, uh, whether it's England, Australia, America, Europe, you need to be fully prepared. You can't just show up and expect to win. You know, there's too many fast people nowadays um, in your class. So, yeah, to be prepared, that's that's my biggest key for that. Awesome. Uh, have you got a preference, mate? Have, have you, do you favour Supercross over outdoors, or what's your preference? If you had, the, you know, if you, somebody had to sign you for a season, either one, which would you go for? Definitely Supercross. Um, more so because, like I said, I ride a lot with like on my talent and my technique and everything. And on Supercross, you have to be talented and have good technique if you want to try and race it. Not only is it hard work, it's it's dangerous if you haven't got the right techniques and uh, and the right training behind you. You can't just show up at Anaheim 1 and expect to ride it. You just won't get round. you know what I mean? The whoops are huge. The triples are big. 
all the other riders are doing triple, triple, triple through the rhythm section. And if you're trying to go double, double, triple, double or something, it's just, it just doesn't work. Um, and whereas motocross, you can pretty much show up to a motocross track anywhere around the world. And if you're not scared to hang it out, you'll, you'll pretty much be all right. You know? So for me, yeah, I'd much rather write supercross. Um, if I, like you said, if I had to get picked for a season, it would definitely be a supercross season. Um, you know, I'm not partial to motocross. I love motocross. I like it when it's really rough and you have to be, you know, really techy with your line choice and, and really smart with the way you race the track. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love that. But, yeah, Supercross is definitely my number one. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, moving on from sort of the America vibes then at the minute, um, I know obviously we're stuck in a bit of a lockdown, but... What is your sort of plans and guidelines for the future? Um, honestly, get through twenty twenty. See how I get on. If I, uh, my 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 plan before all this COVID nineteen uh, started was to win the British Championship in the MX two this year and then move up to MX one. Um, give mm-hmm. myself a few years on trying to win that really. Um, but now this has all happened. I don't know if we're going to have a championship. I don't know. But I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to stick with my goals from before and just try and win this mm-hmm. year and just see what happens. Um, hopefully, Dave will still have a deal for me for 2021. I don't know. Or if there's another team that's going to come up with an offer. I don't know. In British Championship Motocross, it's sort of you've got to just get through a season and, and uh, hope that everything's good and try and find a deal for the next year. It's hard to come across more than a single year contract these days. Yeah, defo. Uh, Darren, do you want to add anything else in before we go into Q and A? Yeah, I just no, I just wanted to pick up off the back of there for for somebody that has had to go full circle, like yourself, mate. You've been privateer. You're on a, an excellent squad now. Um, it must be so difficult for you to race in, knowing that potentially, you know, lots of riders fall lucky and get signed up for two or three year periods, but. It's been really hard for you that way, wise. You, you seem to never get a run of of deals together, do you? You always have to go out there and sort either your own ride or or whatever. Um, and mentally, that must be pretty tough, I should imagine, over the years. Yeah, uh, me and my dad have sat back that many times and gone, just looked at each other and said, "What have we done wrong? Like, what? Why haven't we got a deal? And how come so and so has got this deal? So and so has got that deal? And and we're going to have to go and now buy some sprinters and go racing on our own when?" They've never even beat you in a race, do you know what I mean? But uh, I never let it get the best of us. I I race motocross because I love racing motocross, and my dad loves going to the races and being part of it. You know, I I know it's going to be hard to you know to make a, a load of money doing it when when you're doing it how I've been doing it, just sort of bouncing back and forth. And I think a lot of it was to do with going to America and going to Australia and stuff, and just taking these these deals on tracks uh, on teams for. You know, just for that one-year deal, uh, I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that, like, like you said, I was bouncing around from country to country. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I, I wish it would have been a little bit different. You know, I wish I'd have had a couple of year deal, or even at least just like a two or three year deal on a certain team in any country. You know, and at least then I could have had a year to get used to everybody and used to the team and used to the championship I'm racing. And then second year, like if I would have stayed for 2017. 
after losing it in 2016, the British Championship, I, I don't think anybody would have came near me because I'd have rode with so much aggression and so much anger, the fact that I just lost. You know, mm -hmm. I think 2017 yeah. was a piece of cake. But I had an opportunity to... My dad asked me if I wanted to go and race Supercross again. <clears throat> we'll do it privateer. I had a guy that was going to give me some bikes and take them to him from races. And I said, yeah, you know, I, it, it, and it's so hard to say no to that. You know, when someone offers you to go and race in the AMA Supercross for a season, even if it was just for the Supercross season, um, you know, it's yeah. it's hard to say no to, you know, especially after being there and doing it before. It's a lot easier to just jump in than it's not like I was just showing up somewhere new. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think it's difficult because, you know, I, I've been there and just some of the lads that I've been with, sometimes, you know, it can take, you know, six months before you get your bike dialed into where you're happy and be in a happy place with it. And like before you know it, you're halfway through your contractual year and all of a sudden you, you, you're still chasing the setup, never mind even getting down to the nitty gritty of racing. So um, I just think, you know, you do a bit of luck, mate, is, is all. That's, uh, you haven't had the easiest of careers, shall we say. I mean, you've always had, even when you got a good break with regards to Supercross, I mean, you broke your collarbone, didn't you, just before going yeah. into a real good season for yourself? Um, just got yeah. up off the floor from getting that sorted and went and broke your thumb straight after. So yeah, I know it's a fickle sport, but I think if anybody is has earned some luck and some fate, I think it's you, mate, to be fair. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but one thing I've always prided myself on is never giving up. You know, like like you said, with that that was the, the 20, 2017 season you were on about there, Supercross. It was right after the yeah. I lost the British Championship. I went over to America. I did a couple of months solid training. I was keen. I, right before the first round, I was running good lap times at MTF and everything was looking good. You know, training with Jordan Smith, who went on to lead the championship for most of that season. I wasn't far behind him. So it was all going well. And then Gearbox went out on the face of a jump, spat me over the front and broke my uh, collarbone really bad. Uh, come back from that a couple of weeks later, I rode maybe one or two days on the Supercross track and qualified straight away for the final at my first Supercross back. You know, my fitness wasn't there and I I mean I rolled around and got like twenty first or something stupid, but you know, I got straight into the final, whole shot the main event, um, and then just dropped back. And then on the Monday after that, broken thumb. So yeah, like you say, I have had a bit of bad luck, I think. But I always pride myself on never giving up. We I mean my dad stuck behind me then and since as we missed the whole supercross season I geared up and got ready for the uh for the outdoor season over there and we did selected rounds of the AMA outdoors. Um, in 2017 and I had some pretty awesome results I think for doing it out of a van uh, on my own you know what I mean with my dad I was just around the top 10 like Millville I, I mean I passed Zach Osborne you know there was pro circuit Kawasaki riders I was beating you know Fork mm -hmm. and people like that which you know maybe I wasn't first or I wasn't top five but just to even be beating those guys on the factory team was you know that was enough for me I was I was happy with that and it just shows that, you know, if as long as you don't give up, there will always it will always prevail in the end. So, to do with my my fate and my good luck, hopefully it all comes for this year, so I can check this MX2 British Championship off the list, move up to MX1 and mix it up with Tommy J, Sean, and uh, and those guys. Excellent, mate. It's good to hear that you've got a plan and a process. I, I don't know about you, Soph. We, we've met some determined people in our sport, <laughs> haven't we, over the the few years? But yeah. 
never as dogged as Mr. Clark, I can imagine. No, it, it's all. a really, I've got to give you full respect, mate. I, you know, I love everything that you're saying. Um, so, yeah, but I've just got one sneaky one because everybody, I, I just, we, we like to throw these little ones in every <laughs> now and again, don't we, Soph? But yeah. where did Scuba Steve come from, mate? Well, <laughs> if anybody doesn't know the story behind <laughs> that one. I, I, yeah. Uh, well, the the first time I ever went to America to see Davy Millsaps and those guys, um, we showed up at Davy's house around like nine or ten o'clock at night. So we didn't really get to meet them till the next morning. Um, but on the night that I'd got there, they were in the cinemas watching Big Daddy the movie, it's an Adam Sandler movie. Um, and in that yeah. movie, there was a little doll uh, called Scuba Steve. And uh, or Scuba Sam, and maybe his dad's called Scuba Steve. Either way, there's Adam Sandler has got a toy called Scuba Steve, and uh, they had watched it on that night. And then the next morning, met me, who's Stephen. I had blonde hair, which the scuba diver's got like a yellow <laughs> helmet on, and they uh, they just it just sort of they called me. They were like, "Oh, we've just seen a movie about a guy called Scuba Steve. That can be your nickname." Because back then, everybody who came to Millsaps Training Facility got a nickname. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the guy called David Needham. He's a mechanic. Uh, he's actually, I think, he, well, he's Jeffrey Hurling's practice mechanic now. He's wrote, He worked for Dixon yeah. for a load of years. He was factory Honda mechanic last year. His name is David Needham. Uh, it started off calling him David Need Turkey because he was so skinny. We told him maybe <laughs> the ham's not working. You need to be David Need Turkey. And then it just stuck as Turkey. And his whole name, no one knew his name was David. Even oh, no. people at the races. Yeah, people at the races, the commentators were just calling him Turkey and all sorts of stuff. And the same with me, like uh, Moose Racing printed all of my shirts for 2009 with Scuba Clark. So people didn't even know my real name was Stephen <laughs> for ages. But yeah, it was it was just a little nickname that got given to me by Millsaps and it just stuck. Okay, oh, one God. last one I've just got written down before Soph goes into the Q&A, which I'm really looking forward to as well. And I'd like to put this in there because Roger Warren spoke very similarly last last week about fate and being in the right place at the right time and all that kind of thing. Um, but one of the questions I did ask him, which is fascinating, is who is the most famous person in your contacts list on your phone, given the fact that you've been in, in America and Australia? And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Pastrana, I'd have to say. He's, Ooh. I mean, that guy don't get much more famous than Travis, does it? No. No. Yeah, well, that came from 2010. I was, uh, my the Suzuki team I rode for in America was Nitro Circus, uh, Suzuki City Racing, and him being like the title sponsor. Um, and I'd, I've actually met him a few times in the past. He used to come down to Millsaps and train, and I lived in like a little log cabin thing at Colleen's house with him for a couple of months. And, you know, uh, that year when he was my team sponsor, invited me up to go and do some flips and stuff at his place but uh, my mum and dad weren't having none of it they're like you are not racing AMA supercross <laughs> and then the next week going to his house to break your arm to then miss the next few rounds so it never happened I never made it up to the farm yet but yeah it definitely have to be Travis with a big contact in my phone wow okay fair enough mate 
Well, I think hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, we've got Travis lined up for a podcast at some point. So hopefully we'll get some stories about you out of him. I was going to say, mate, we'll have to push that one, won't we? <laughs> right, well, if, when you speak to him, ask him about the time we shot the alligators behind MTF. We got in big trouble for that because there's, there's an alligator farm <laughs> I should behind MTF. <laughs> well, it's, oh an abandoned, it's an old alligator farm, so there's like a big pond full of alligators. Well, when Travis came, it would have been... 2004 I think it was yeah we all like walked back there through the woods found this alligator farm shot a couple of alligators and then like told like everybody did. about it MTF and we got yeah and we got in massive trouble we uh with Colleen so yeah we, ask him about that he'll think that's funny he's probably still got it on film somewhere <laughs> oh my gosh right then uh I think we'll move on to the Q&A then shall we from here um, oh, been looking quite... forward to this the whole time. <laughs> yeah, we've had quite a mix of uh, questions come in for you this week. Um, we'll start off with a nice one, shall we? Um, a lovely one from <laughs> Roger Warren. Uh, he's actually got in touch yeah. about you after he found out you was on the podcast. Um, he said, so here's a question for Clarkey. After winning the EMX Championship, did you get any offers to move into GPs? And do you feel that you have not had the opportunity to prove yourself at a top level? Uh, I didn't get any offers. Um, actually, you, when I signed up for that championship, it was the deal was when you win the EMX 250 championship, you're supposed to get a free entry for the GPs for the following year. Um, mm -hmm. Hang on. And uh, I won the championship, and I, I didn't even get a free pass for any of the rounds <laughs> for the following year, which was quite annoying, wow. really. Uh, no. I know. We, I know. Um, I didn't get any offers from any teams. Uh, and I think a lot of that was to do with I was too old to race MX2, um, so it would have mm -hmm. had to have been a 450 deal. And I'm not sure winning the EMX 250 wasn't really something that 450 teams were looking at, I don't think. But, you know, it, it wouldn't have been my first time. I raced a full season of outdoors in America on a 450 when I was 20. So, you know, I'm not yeah. partial to a 450. You know, I've been on it plenty of times, you know. But no, to answer your question abruptly, I didn't get any deals and I didn't get a, my free ride for the next year. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, that's not good, I know, is it? I know, I know. No, hence why I try not to do much, many other GPs at the moment when I've got to pay for it myself. Um, they don't help yeah, us out at all. Yeah. There we go. So moving on to um, next question from Charlie Gibson on Instagram. Uh, best advice for an amateur that wants to be a professional? Uh, keep at it. Just keep plugging away. You know, it's not as scary and daunting as you think racing in the MX2 class. You know, yeah, the front runners are really fast, but uh, especially nowadays, the, the the skill level drops off pretty quick. And I don't know what level Charlie Gibson is, but you know, my biggest piece of advice to you is don't be scared of us. You know, just you might be faster than all of us. You just might not be confident enough. So you'll never know where you're gonna where you're gonna finish until you race it. So. Just keep at it. Keep doing your practicing. Do your training and do as much as you think you need to do. And uh, just show up, man. Uh, we're, we're not that scary. We're not just going to take you out off the track just because you're new to it. You know, just come and mix it up with us and see how you get on. That's pretty good advice, to good be advice. fair. I'm not going to lie. Advice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
Um, so next question. I think you'll know who this guy is that sent this in. Um, laughing already. I'm sorry, mate. It's only because I can see it. <laughs> uh, this okay. is um, a question from Josh Spinks. Yeah. And he says, Tommy or Jake for the championship? Oh, oh, you <laughs> mean it. Is. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I saw them both training in Spain. I know Jake puts in a lot of work. I know Tommy's not shy to put his laps in. Uh, it depends how many rounds we've got. Uh, Jake's normally right up there at the front for the for the first three quarters of the season. Um, oh, have I got to answer that? I don't really know. Yes. <laughs> Can I pick Sean? Can I pick Sean just so I don't get one of them mad at me? Yeah, we'll take that. That's uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I'll just jump in there then, mate. It might make it a little bit easier then. For me, Tommy has already been British yeah. Championship. He's, you know, he's British Champion, done all that. Jake, in a very similar position to you, not long back, obviously when he broke his leg, was on the cuffs for winning the Championship. And I solely love Jake to win the Championship just because I think he's due one. And, and he's a lovely guy. And, and Tommy's been there and done that. So that's my perspective on it. If that makes it, I know you're on the team and it's, yeah, it's more. It's more so. Dave wouldn't care which answer I say because as long as one of them wins, he's going to be happy. It's just more. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can't pick between them, man. I, I I know Tommy is a phenomenal rider and he's got so much skill, but Jake, you know, there's just something with Jake. He's so determined, and he went through that horrible leg injury, and it's been bothering him for two years. But the man goes running nearly every day on it on that gimpy ankle of his. He goes running for miles and miles and miles. And, you know, that that is determination for you. And uh, he does a lot of riding, a lot of training, and he's not slow on a bike in general. Um, but, again, Tommy, Tommy's Tommy. He's, he's one of the best riders to come out of England since Dave Thorpe, really, and Jamie Dobb, people like that. And uh, you can't bet against Tommy because if Tommy shows up with his race head on and he wants to win, He's going to be near that front battling for wins, you know. So it's not so much I couldn't, it's not, I didn't want to upset anybody or the team or anything. It just, I wouldn't be able to pick. And I'm just going to let them battle it out and see what happens and just sit back and try and keep everything calm in the tent. If they come in after taking each other out, you know, I'm going to be there, the first one to tell them they're both stupid, you know, and just try and keep the peace. <laughs> So, Spinksy, if you end up listening to this, yeah, you have very, not managed to stir the pot at all. So, No, very <laughs> diplomatic answer there from Steve, to be fair. But I think Hart says Jake and Head probably Tommy. But, you know, is that no a comment. fair way to sum that up? <laughs> no comment. No <laughs> comment. <laughs> all I can say is, Josh Spinks, if you are listening, get rid of those trials videos, mate. They're doing my head in. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen those his episode, his trials to, to be episode. fair yeah I have yeah, yeah. Spinksy would be That's a good too... lad to have on this podcast to be fair if we can make oh, that happen great. he's yeah. funny then... he's a funny guy yeah. I've, I've rode with him a load of times and just make sure he's wearing that spandex and it's a live feed because that is a sight yeah. for sore eyes isn't it I'll have to just get him dressed up as Carol Baskin, I think, for the next couple uh, of weeks. Yeah, and then perhaps you put, you can put a question into him then, mate, and make him squirm a bit, perhaps. Yeah, I think I've got That'd a few cool. in mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, next question. 
Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so, Pat, start on IG. Um, what would you do differently after 85 world champs and Loretta titles? Uh, what would I do differently? Yeah. Um, tried not to hurt my knee. I reckon that was like a big turning point for me. I uh, like I, I tore the ligaments in my knee. Uh, my ACL, MCL, PCL two weeks before my first Supercross ever. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't do no training or anything all the way through the season and just sort of rode it out being a race weekend warrior. Um, if I could change, if I had to change something that I was in control of, um, I would have probably not taken that Suzuki deal uh, to turn pro in America. I uh, the junior, the junior 85 World Championship was brilliant. I, I won that. I got a good deal with Par Honda, KRM Honda, 2006. Mm. It was my first year on a 250, my first year in British Championship, and all that. And I, you know, I had, I, I didn't win anything, but I was, I learned a lot, and uh, I was runner up in the under 21 Championship. Um, not many points behind the lead when Jim Morrow won that. It was. It was a good year, and you know, I went to America. I did a couple of years. I won Loretta's. That was 07. That was the following year again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I took a deal with this guy, a uh, Suzuki team in America, that promised me the world and just sort of took me to the races with the mediocre bike, if you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. It touches base on what I said earlier. We had a massive, we had a big semi with all the bikes in there. The bikes had new graphics, new plastics, new tyres on every weekend, but the suspension guy was a part-time suspension mechanic, full-time DJ, which should have been the other <laughs> way around, you know what I mean? He should have been a full-time suspension guy that did a bit of DJing. Um, my motors were promised to be factory Suzuki motors, and they were just some guy in Mississippi uh, tuning them himself, and my team manager was actually, towards the end of the season, caught drawing the Chinese symbol on the side himself. <laughs> uh, so no if I could, Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. We, me and my teammate thought we were so special. We got these heads come with a little Chinese symbol on it. Was, we were told meant Matthew and Stephen. Uh, but by the end of the year, one of the mechanics caught the team manager, yeah, drawing it on himself, um, which... Again, it's not a. It didn't hurt my feelings because my bike was there and I had a truck and, you know, the the paycheck was coming in. You know, but I just think my career would have gone a bit further and I could have maybe done a little bit better those first few years if I was privateer. You know, with my parents backing mm-hmm. me, they yeah. they're obviously willing to put in the the money to get the good equipment and we'll go in a sprinter van because that's obviously the the bigger benefit is the you know the equipment as opposed to the big truck and the big posters and the big signing and everything like that. Do you know what I mean? Really, it was all about looking good on that team and not actually putting the, uh, the full potential into the engine and the suspension, like, like potentially like you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, to answer this question, uh, would have definitely been, uh, try and do my first year as pro as a privateer. Um, that would be like one of the biggest things I changed. There we go. Um, Pat's actually set in another question. I think he's done about four or five, but I've had to narrow it down to two. <laughs> um, he said, who at schoolboy level should have gone far? Uh, in my in my era, um, yeah. Scott Elderfield. Scott Elderfield, definitely. That kid had so much talent, um, but one thing or another, faded out of the scene. 
um, mm-hmm. after a brief stint near the front-ish, I would say, at the British Championship level. Uh, I know he rode for like Par Honda and I believe it was LPE Kawasaki back then. Um, and like I said, yeah, so much talent and so much potential, but just faded out. And if you're listening to Scott Elderfield, it's never too late, mate. Lose some weight and get yourself on a motocross bike. <laughs> and and that goes to uh, the philosophy that you really believe in, whereas, mate, natural talent, uh, that that lad and you, uh, unreal yeah. on a motocross bike. I mean, you know, that lad, I've seen him race and it was... And even now, so many people out there disappointed that he packed up where he did, where... And, you know, even in America, you know, they were scared at some of the things he could do on a motocross bike as well. I know, I've heard stories. Um, yeah. But such a shame that, you know, he just lost his way a little bit. That was all. Yeah, I think a lot of it was to do with it. I mean, it's nothing against his dad because his dad was actually a really nice man, but he put so much pressure on Scott at a very young age that I think it just burnt Scott out. And I just think he was just fed up of having to impress people all the time do you know what I mean so even when his dad stepped away it was then he was on a team that were expecting him to do well because of how good he was on the bike whereas if he wouldn't have like my parents have been so relaxed and chill with me they tell me do what you got to do and go where you want to go and just do it how you want to do it sort of thing and the results will come if they come they come if they don't you know what I mean as long as you're not really injured we're, we're happy so Mm-hmm. I think if they if he was had the reins loosened a little bit on him, you know, he he would have worked wonders and he would have been doing really well. And I think he'd have still been racing, but you know, he hasn't, he didn't, and he's not. So, uh, yeah, Scott Eldfield's my answer for that one. <laughs> there we go. So I think that rounds up our uh, Q and A section of the podcast. Uh, Darren, do you want to add any more in? All I want. I've just got one random question again, and we we do this. Mm-hmm. You do you that, ever, you mean? <laughs> no, I, I have you ever tried any other forms of motorsport, mate? Just out of interest, just be only because I wanted to throw that one in there because most motocross riders or racers, whatever, you know, have got a passion for anything, whether it be two wheel, four wheel. Have you ever tried anything else? In fact, you know, just thought, well, I could give this a bit of a go, you know? Um, as far as motorsports go, uh, the only other thing I've tried was uh, supermoto. Uh, that was last year. I think it was about August or September time. I went with my pal. Uh, we went over to uh, it, well, what I thought was going to be a supermoto track with jumps and bit of dirt and some tarmac. And we got there and it was just a go-kart track. So, I mean, it was so <laughs> boring. There was no ruts. There was no bumps. There was no jumps or anything. So, uh, it's not for me. But, yeah, that's the only other really form of motorsports I've ever tried. Um, yeah, I, I would be, I would like to have a go at some, uh, you know, some road racing. I think that would be pretty cool how Graham Irwin switched over and started doing BSB and stuff like that. I've watched a few of the BSB events. I was, I was yeah. actually at Phillip Island in Australia doing a Supercross race uh, when, they're, uh, when they had a race on there. The, I think it was Moto2 class or... Um, something like that but yeah our supercross track was just off to the side of their GP track and watching those boys and you know and hearing those bikes and just seeing just seeing them rip around it just looks pretty cool I'd like to have a go at that so if there's any road race teams listening sign me up 
<laughs> for the future. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, mate, I'd sign you up just on your dogged determination. In all fairness, I mean, you know, quite a lot of the lads, like you say, um, making the transition. John Michelle Bale, for instance, took to the gravel and, and asphalt really, really well. Um, it just seems to be, you know, some people have got their pass on, but I suppose you have to be smoother with your riding. But I've seen you on a motocross, mate. And to be fair, it's full chat or nothing wherever you are. So I'm not sure if you'd be throwing it at the scenery quite a bit, if I'm honest. No, no, no. That's a, you, where you, you contradict yourself there. You called me a blue groove rider earlier, and you can't get any closer to a road racing track than blue groove. <laughs> no, no, no. I did. Yeah, yeah. So. No. Throttle and clutch control yeah, on me. Yeah, I do, that, I do I go that. flat chat. I go flat chat all the time, but I, I do pride myself on having a lot of throttle and clutch control. I think that's a key part of motocross, you know, and um, I think it would transition well, quite well over into road racing. I'd be a bit more worried about going 200 miles an hour, I think, than, uh, than throwing it down the track. <laughs> I'd probably be going a bit too slow and cut the corner because I'm not going quick enough. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know you, mate. I think you probably have to nail it until you got 200 mile an hour down that straight. I don't think you could. Um, and that just, you know, off that, that first opening question that we had from the amateur guy going there. And that's another thing that we can pick off and, and some of the things that we've got off the riders where, you know, go out and practice blue groove. You get that throttle control and you can master any permutation that gets thrown out here whatsoever because that is the yeah. hardest control. It's like glass. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. off the back of that first for Charlie, and that might well be the case. Yeah, get some get some hard pack rock practice in him. <laughs> there we go. So I think that rounds up uh, episode five of the Live Motocross podcast. Um, Clarky, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's given you a bit of maybe something to do while we're in lockdown rather than watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for having me, guys, and. If you want to get me back on in the future, don't be shy to ask. I love this kind of thing. And as you both know, and as anyone who's listened to this last hour and 20 minutes can tell you, I don't shut up. And if you're bored and you want someone to talk to, ring me up. I'm uh, I'm all up for it. I think it's brilliant what you guys are doing. And I think um, more of it needs to happen with, you know, let's get the take on everybody in, our, in the top 10. You know what I mean? Let's see what everybody else, all the way down to, you know, someone mid-pack let's hear what their thoughts are that'd be pretty cool just um you know someone yeah, that's maybe never won a race yeah. see what their goals are and the way they go about things and maybe you know they might learn a few things just from listening to this from what i say and from what sean said in the past and stuff like that i think it's it'd be good but yeah thank you again for having me it's been wicked thanks for your time mate and i just want to say personally you know i hope we do go racing in 2020 i think we're all looking forward to it we will make a big thing of it. I know we will. The fans will get behind us. But just wanted to wish you all the very best for this year, mate. We, you know, we're behind you. We can see the determination. We can see what it means to you. And um, just all the very best, mate, when we do go racing. That's all I can say. That's from the heart. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And hopefully uh, we can do some interviews throughout the season and we'll be celebrating at the end of it. Let's hope so, mate. Let's hope so. So we've got a little competition running with Wall Sport at the moment over on Live Motocross. So to celebrate the success of the new uh, Forte Nero kit, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, there's a competition to be in with a chance of winning a set. So head over 
to the uh, Live Facebook page where you can see the competition on there. You also have to like and share the post, follow Wolf Sport and tag two mates in the comments. Um, so the competition will finish on the 15th of May and they will send you a DM to see if you've won. Good luck. There we go. So that rounds up episode five. Make sure you head over to Acast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to us so you don't miss an episode. But in the meantime, tune in next week where we'll be hitting you with episode six and a very special guest. <laughs>